Amen. I love those stirring songs. I also realized when I sing those songs that I could never be up on stage. I'm a very ugly worshiper. I get real excited and emotional, and my face goes all sideways. But these people look so good, and it's so great to worship with them. I'm glad you're here with us. My name's Ben, one of the pastors. Today we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 10. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to Matthew, chapter 10, as we continue our series talking about, talking about Jesus. And part of how we talk about talking about Jesus is talking about the people who are talking about Jesus, or the way you talk about Jesus. When you think about something that is said, the person who says it and the way they choose to say it has a lot of impact on how it's heard. Here's a quote. You ready? Philosophers have only interpreted the world differently. The point is, however, to change it. Now, if you hear that quote, and I purposefully left off the attribution. I'll, I'll give you a minute to guess maybe who said it. If you hear that quote and it's Mr. Rogers, it kind of makes you feel good, doesn't it? Such a sweet guy, loving guy who says something like this, and you're like, yeah, we do need to change it. Neighbor? You know, like you feel <laughs> warm and fuzzy. If somebody says this to you and it's your friend who just got an electric car, you might roll your eyes a little bit. Right? Like it sounds a little self-righteous, right? Because you're still driving your Ford or whatever, and they've got their electric car, and they're telling you, listen, man, the point of this is to change the world. And you're like, okay, come on. Here's who actually said it. Karl Marx. Now, I don't know if any of you guys are history buffs, but Karl Marx uh, said that and then backed it up. <laughs> he, was, he was really, like, consistent. Uh, he said that and then said... Give me all your money and let's kill everybody that disagrees with us, right? Like a lot of people died because he was actually pretty consistent with what he said. Here's my point with that. The way in which we live and the way in which we speak the gospel is already determined by the Lord who gave it to us. We don't really have a lot of options about it. He's commanded how we are to go about telling people about him. And today we get into Jesus sending out the 12 to go and to speak about who he is and to speak about the kingdom that is to come. But he also gives them ways in which they are to go about it. They're not just willy-nilly. They have a very specific system. And the very specific system that he gives them was actually for that moment. It was for that trip. It gets changed by Jesus later on as he's getting closer to them actually being sent after his resurrection. And yet, we can still gain incredible insights from this message. There's a reason that Matthew, the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, gave us this text telling us about how they would go. In this message, it's not just about a philosophy and it's not just about change. It's about love. You're going to see this. It's the way it talks about it. When Jesus gives this command for how we are to go, the way in which we are to go is loving. We're supposed to go with love. We're supposed to know who we're reaching with love. We're supposed to speak his message, which is the message, the content of the message. The quote is love. And we are supposed to trust in this provision 
from his love. You're going to see all this as we kind of walk through it. I want you to read it with me, though. Let's look in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 5. When I say read with me, for anybody who's new here, I don't mean out loud. You're really not required to say much during this part of the service. I will say it over you, but I want you to read it in your head along with me to, to see that this is coming out of the Bible. It says, these 12, so if you were here last week, we actually went through and named them because the, the scriptures do. They tell us about these very normal turned abnormal people by Jesus who are being sent. And these 12, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, you start reading that, it immediately gives you the kind of tone of this passage, which was very specific. Jesus is telling the 12 to go about this message in this way at this time in salvation history. But again, we're going to get principles out of this. We are supposed to know who we are reaching. It takes love to do this, but you are supposed to know who you are reaching. Let me take you to where Matthew was, and then we'll kind of extrapolate out to what we're supposed to do. Matthew is talking about when Jesus sends out the 12 before he has gone to the cross. If you've read Matthew before, probably the most famous verse in the Gospel of Matthew is at the very end, where Jesus tells them to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You get into Acts, which is the very beginning of the apostles being sent with Jesus like having died, been resurrected, and then ascending into heaven. He has this command that they are to go and to take this message, Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Praise God for that last part. But here, he's actually really clear that he just wants them in these villages in this Galilean area that are Jewish. He just wants them speaking to the Israelites. When he's saying this, he is tapping into something that we see throughout the New Testament, which is a realization that God has done hundreds of years of work with a certain group of people for them to know who he is. So the messengers that landed could have a head start when they spoke to the Israelites because, as Paul says in Romans 9, they're the Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. They get the shorthand. You can show up in a synagogue, and they're already speaking a monotheistic language. They're already talking about a God who is holy. They already understand that that holiness means that He is both just and gives steadfast love to thousands. Then they can speak further and say, now, here's who this Christ is. God's intention was always to start with this group of people that He had already cultivated and to go from that group of people out to the world. It says in Genesis 12, this is when God is speaking to Abraham. It's very, the very beginning of his relationship with Abraham. And if you know the Bible, Abraham is the, the patriarch. He is the one who starts the people of Israel. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, and Israel has the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes. This is Abraham's group. And what does God say is characteristic of what he's going to be doing through Abraham? At the very beginning of his relationship with Abraham, well, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I'll curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's saying that his intention from the beginning was to start with this people 
And then from this people resonate out. His intention has always been to resonate out. His purpose or his, uh, his strategy, though, is to start at one place, have himself be understood, and then resonate out. I think people really understood what Jesus was saying here, even if we get a little tripped up by it. When Peter becomes the apostle through which God commands him to go and speak to the Gentiles, like really go and speak. To, and like, I know I said it at the end of Matthew. I know I said it at the beginning of Acts, but like, really, Peter, it's time now. Cornelius is on his way. Here's this vision. If you read through the, gospel, or the uh, book of Acts, God has to tell Peter this incredible vision that Peter then has to repeat several times in the book of Acts because everybody is just flabbered. They're flummoxed by this concept that they might have to go and speak to the Gentiles that were an unclean people. Why, why would God say this to us? Why would he command this of the people, that they would start with this people and work their way out. Well, I think there's a principle there that we need to understand about God's work, and you can see it through all of Scripture. But I think for us today, there's this idea that there's wisdom in knowing who you're being sent to. There's wisdom in understanding who it is that you're going to go speak to. If Peter and the Twelve had gone to speak to the Gentiles and to the Jews, it would have made it very difficult for any of the Jews to hear what they were saying. See, when Jesus tells Peter, and Peter actually goes and acts, he has to go up to Jerusalem, and this circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, as Peter goes to speak to these men, he's not talking to them about Jesus anymore, is he? The first thing he's got to talk to them about is the fact that he went and ate with Cornelius. It says in later in that chapter, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. It eventually worked out, but it was this huge stumbling block for them. Can I tell you that any time you try to get to know somebody to speak the gospel to them, you are going to run into things that are speed bumps for them, things that are really, really hard. You're going to have to do what Paul did. He's our best example of this because Acts gives us the most information about him. When he would come into a town, he would start by speaking to the the Jews, and then he would go and preach to all the Gentiles. And it says about Paul, he says this about himself, that he did what it took to reach who he was supposed to reach. To the Jews, he became like a Jew. To the Gentiles, he became like a Gentile. What are you willing to do to remove barriers when you speak the gospel to somebody? This takes a lot of love because you have to really see the people that you're trying to reach. You have to think about them and understand what they might get tripped up by. Are you willing to forgo alcohol to reach somebody with the gospel? The Bible doesn't forbid alcohol. The Bible forgives drunkenness. And I don't know what your like, limit is, but it happens pretty quick, so be careful. But the Bible doesn't forbid alcohol. But there are people I know that would have a really difficult time if they saw alcohol out in my house. They would have a difficult time listening to me as somebody who's speaking about the righteousness of God. I'm not saying you have to do it, but would you be willing to do it if it meant that you could more easily reach somebody with the gospel? What if you had to go vegan for a couple meals? Ooh. (laughs) You just have to, like, stop at McDonald's on your way home, right? Like, you would eat a lot. It wouldn't be that filling. You would have a more musical digestive system, and you'd have to, like, eat a second meal on your way home. But would you be willing to do that if it meant that somebody was more comfortable hearing from you? 
They're so tripped up on this concept of we can't eat animals, we can't eat animals, we can't eat animals, that if you're trying to tell them that Jesus loves you and then like chewing on a rib, they're not going to be able to hear it. Well, can you put down a rib long enough to speak the gospel to that person? It's just not that easy. You can't just show up. There's a lot of difficulty that comes with trying to get to know somebody, and it may mean that you opening your home to that person isn't as fun as it could have been. How do you get over that? Well, again, love. That's what Jesus does. That's who commands these guys. Now, obviously, these guys are Jews themselves. It was easy for them to do that. But as you get into Acts and you flip the script and the Jews have to reach the Gentiles, just like us trying to reach somebody that's not like us, it became very difficult, but they overcame it by love. You got to know who you're supposed to reach. Then you speak a message that is a message of love. If you look at verse 7, it says, this is Jesus telling them what to say. And proclaim as you go, saying... The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is shorthand for what he's been preaching throughout the entire time of the gospel. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. What is he saying? He's saying, go and say the same thing that I've been saying the entire time you've been hanging out with me. That's what we were talking about last week. What is part of what is so exciting about going on this mission is that you're going on this mission with him, that it's his mission. You're speaking His words. You're trying to understand His values. You're trying to see with love other people as He sees those people. He's lifting the world on His shoulders, and you're coming along beside Him. And what was His message? His message was, yeah, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's a pretty complex and simple message. They say about the book of Romans that it's a place where babies can wade and where elephants have to swim. Have you heard that before? I don't know why you would unless you read a commentary on Romans. But it's a quote that goes with a lot of commentaries on Romans because there is an easy enough message to get that on your first reading you can understand that you got to be saved by grace that comes through Christ alone. And yet, If you're a super brilliant person and you spend your whole life on it, you'll never get to the bottom of it. As Jesus preached this gospel, he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And let me tell you, that is a complex concept, but it's also not. Do you know who my favorite evangelists are? New Christians. They don't know their left hand from their right. They don't know the Old Testament from the new, but they know the one thing that matters and they speak it. There's a story about it. In John chapter nine, Jesus heals this guy (laughs) He was a blind guy that got healed, and the, the, uh, the leaders of the, the uh, Jewish community there are very upset with Jesus, and they're very upset with this guy, and they call him in, and they're trying to say, who is this guy that healed you? How'd this go down? Are you a sinner? He's a sinner. I'm sure he's a sinner, and how did he heal you if he's a sinner? They're just, they're, it's a, 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 you know, kind of a kangaroo court. You know, they, they're just trying to get this Jesus guy. And this blind guy, who doesn't really know much about Jesus, <laughs> says exactly that. He answers these guys and says, whether Jesus is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That was his one point. Can I tell you? Pretty compelling point. I don't know whatever you might want to know about this Jesus guy. and I don't have all of Moses' law and all the laws you've added on memorized. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But I was blind, and now... I see. The brand new Christian may not know about how to talk about the Trinity. The brand new Christian may not know about the problem of evil. The brand new Christian may not be able to to dissect with detail what are the kind of 
uh, philosophical underpinnings of um, secularism. But the brand new Christian knows that they were blind and now they see. The brand new Christian experiences what is most essential for the, uh, the brand new, the person who's trying to understand Jesus. They understand what is most essential for that person to know. This message of love and change. Do you know this message of love and change? The first point's not that difficult. Just take time to get to know somebody and understand what might irk them. Try to avoid it if you can. The second point's not very difficult either. Do you know how Jesus has changed you? You don't have to be some super brilliant person that can reach into the Gordian knot of somebody's faith system and try to pull out the one thread that unspools it and gives them the wisdom of God. Don't try to do that. Do you have something that Jesus has done for you that you can tell somebody else? I was blind, but now I see. That's what this guy said. What is it for you? We talk about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, for the Father, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He is preaching a message about who God is, and he is saying both theological things about God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, that God is Father and there is Jesus, and Jesus is also God. There's a lot of theology that's happening, even that first phrase. But then he's giving descriptions of this God by saying the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That sounds great. If it's true, I want that. Well, look what he says. Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. Love the ESV. Very confusing phrasing there. But what he's saying is, God's given me comfort, and I can pass that comfort on to you. So the question for the believer is, what is the comfort that God has given you? You know, there's all kinds of stuff through the Corinthians, and I hope we're going to get into those soon, where these people had crazy backgrounds. And what were they able to do? They were able to talk to people who had crazy presents and help them, like present tense, present, and help them see how Jesus could make that crazy okay. And the way that they did it was by saying what Jesus had done for them. One of the best things you can do to learn to be an evangelist is to get really thankful for what Jesus has done for you. One more reason that we can get excited about singing. The singing here is not just beautiful musically. It's also helping you to say, yeah, hey, that's really true, man. I'm excited about that. I might need to bring that up in my next conversation with my pharmacist or whatever. That's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is modeling here. This isn't so complicated. This isn't so difficult. What has God done for you, and how can you help other people to see it? That's his message. It's a loving message. And he teaches us to trust in his loving provision. It continues in verse 8. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Now, in all these points... I want you to understand that Jesus was giving them historically with principles that affect us even today. Jesus in Luke later changes this one in particular. He's saying, hey, I told you, don't get two cloaks. Well, now get two cloaks. But you got you to do what you got to do here because now things are about to get hard. But in this passage, he's making clear that God was going to provide for them. Can I tell you, that's something that hasn't changed. God's economy is an economy of grace. 
It says in Isaiah, he, he invites you to come and to buy without money. What does that mean? Grace, baby. He is giving you this for free. If you understand that you received it for free, you're that much more motivated to give it for free. Are you making it difficult for people to hear the gospel from you? Is it a pretty steep slope? Like, do they have to be fun people for you to hang out long enough for you to share the gospel with them? Do their kids have to be cool enough that you want your kids to be like their kids, and so now you're going to hang out with them and eventually share the gospel with them? Well, what does it take? See, Jesus is saying that you received without paying, you need to give without pay. I think it's rare for you to try and charge people financially to hear the gospel. (laughs) Not a great business model uh, or evangelistic model. I don't know that you would make much money by saying, like, I will share the gospel with you for $9.95 or, you know, like that. Who's going to pay that? I don't know. But it is weird how often we make it difficult for people to get close enough to us to hear the gospel from us. That's not how God works. He gave us this gospel for free. When I think about trying to charge for it, the first thought I had, which is weird because I'm not a big current events guy, and this isn't that current. It's like 2008. There's a, a governor of, Chicago, or of, uh, of Illinois named Rob Lagojevich. Does anybody remember this story? When uh, then-Senator Obama became President Obama, his Senate seat was kind of up for grabs, and Blagojevich had the like constitutional duty or whatever to appoint somebody to that role. And he decided to sell it. I mean, why not? You know, he had this free thing, but everybody wants it, so let's just talk turkey. Who's going to make it happen? And the FBI got him, because I don't know what he said about his, whether he was innocent or not, but they tapped his phone, and he said, I've got this thing and it's bleeping golden. I'm just going to give it up for bleeping nothing. I thought that was really funny. Obviously, super corrupt. And the point of it, (laughs) I didn't even put it as like a quote because I didn't want the bleepings on there for anything. But the point of it is, of course not. Who, who, Who would charge for this wonderful free thing? It wasn't even his. Because of this thing, it was his to kind of determine and to be wise with, but it wasn't his to give. You think about these, like, these pharmaceutical executives who raise and raise and raise the price of some drugs. Ah, kind of makes you feel icky, doesn't it? This is stuff that people need. We need to instead flip our economy and say, what can I give so that other people can also get the gospel? That's how it's supposed to work. Shouldn't be expensive. And you should trust God to provide as you go. Like I said, Jesus kind of changes this in Luke, and yet the principle is still there. God does provide for his work. Things are getting hard. Don't be discouraged. He will provide. He even provides worthy people. It says in verses 11 and 12 and 13, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, Greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. What are you going to do with this? Seems kind of weird, doesn't it? I don't know what you're supposed to do today with this message. Well, I think it's helpful to understand what he means by worthy there. Does he mean that it's not for the highest bidder to hear the gospel, but it is for the nicest person to hear the gospel? Is that what he means? Well, no, I don't think so. That doesn't seem to be Jesus' example. 
What does it mean that he says worthy? Well, whenever you run into kind of a pickle in Scripture, a great way to get around it is to find a word that makes it difficult and look for other places where that word is used in the same way and see if there's anything to help you out there. If you go to the gospel, or I'm sorry, the book of Acts, there are several times where Peter or where Paul does effectively shake the dust off his boots because people were not worthy to hear the gospel. And what does he mean by that? He means that they were so angered by this gospel message that they wouldn't let him finish sentences. They were shouting at him and trying to stone him and drag him out of the city. It was not a, an environment conducive to sharing the gospel. What does he mean by worthy? Well, I think he's tapping a little bit on Jesus' words about throwing what is sacred before dogs who then turn on you. Throwing pearls before pigs who then turn on you. I think we have to remember that and think a little bit about who we're sharing with. Sometimes you might get excited about sharing with somebody who's going to be really loud and scream back at you because at least there's a conversation there. Okay. But maybe you could think about receptivity principle. Who is somebody who's more likely to just hear you out? Maybe you spend your time with that person. You've only got limited time. You're not that great at this. Maybe spend time with that person instead of the screamer. Jesus does give us these words about throwing pearls before swine. But I will say, he also gives us his example. Jesus also spoke to people who then put him on a cross. So his example is to really be be pretty free with this gospel. Yeah, there's going to be people who want to listen or are willing. Maybe they don't agree with you, but they're willing at least to hear you out. Those people, yeah, spend a lot of time with those people. But, you know, if you don't have any of those people... Spend time with the screamers, because Jesus did too. So, there is a little bit of something there. Yeah. Lastly, this is uh, Jesus talking about how there is, hmm, there is judgment involved here. Look at verse 14. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that town or house. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah for that town. I want to talk about Jesus having a message of love, and I talk about us talking about Jesus in a loving way. Man, one of the big responses we get back from people is, how can it be a loving message if it excludes people? How can it be a loving message if there's judgment involved? Well, it does seem that he is saying you either accept or reject him. And that there's massive consequences, that accepting him leads to being with him, but rejecting him leads to being separated from him. It sounds pretty intense, but can I tell you, I think it has to be. See, when Jesus is talking about, he's talking about coming to know him. He's talking about being in relationship with him. When David was talking about us being part of the family, part of the body of Christ, He's not just pulling out crazy things that are just occasionally used in Scripture. He's pointing to major, deep themes of Scripture. God is not interested in just giving you some better sort of life tips. He's not interested in increasing your productivity. He's interested in your soul. He's not here to date or date casually. He wants to marry you. He wants to make you His. To choose to be with him is to choose to be with him. But to choose anything else, 
To choose to reject him is to choose to reject him. And I think people balk at a heaven that is so nice and a hell that is so not. But don't you see that it has to be that way? You either have him and you have everything, or you reject him and you got nothing. Can I tell you, if we're talking about being loving, being loving is telling people the truth. You're going to be very loving in the way that you get to know somebody. You're going to be very loving in the way that you speak to somebody. You're going to be very loving in the way that you try and serve that person so that they see your whole life emanates with the joy that comes from being blind and now seeing. But you're also going to be loving by telling them the truth. This isn't Paul. This isn't John. This isn't James. This isn't Jude saying this. These are red letters. This is Jesus. Talks more about hell than anybody else because he, he had to have you understand. It was very loving to realize that the diagnosis is not good. We are sinners in need of grace. Now, people might balk at this and, and get very upset thinking again about just the question of suffering. How, how is it possible even that God would allow there to be evil in the world? How is it possible that there would be the option to reject him? Let me just point you. That's a really big question, and it deserves a lot of your time. There's a great book, and if it's a little too wordy for you, let me know. We'll find other ones. But it's, it's by a guy named Tim Keller. It's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And in it, he gives a really good sort of first thing to think about when you're talking to somebody and they give you this idea. Before suffering is a philosophical issue, it is a practical crisis. Before it is about why, it is about how. How do I survive this? Brothers and sisters, if we are to speak the gospel to the people, it's got to be a gospel that we understand, a gospel of a Jesus that we know. It may not be something that you can automatically explain why their child has cancer, but you can explain a Jesus who came to die and suffer with them. Does that make sense? You have a message a message of incredible, infinite, eternal love. Will you speak it? Last week we talked about just thinking of somebody and praying for them every day. How'd that go? Can I tell you, in my life, it was a huge blessing. I got to meet a guy. We got to talk more. I haven't shared the gospel with him yet, but I'm hoping that's coming. How's it going for you? Let me just invite you to try. It will be something that gets to underline in your life God's love for you, not just God's love through you. Let's pray that you would. Lord God and Heavenly Father, as we continue in this series thinking about, talking about you, that you would give us the grace to understand how good this is. You're a good God. You don't give stupid commands. You don't give superfluous commands. Because you're so good and because you're so powerful, you actually give us commands that work for our good as well as for the good of those that we're trying to serve. Even if it involves incredible suffering, Father, we trust that obeying you is exactly where we're supposed to be. And you, Father, were all about this message. You were about letting people know about your love. Lord, would we be people who aren't just talkers and not just thinkers, but are doers, who actually bring this love to other people. Would you help us to be people who see how good you have been to us, who remember the cross daily so that we can speak about the cross, not just as an idea, 
but as an experience. Let us share your love because we have known your love for your glory. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.